Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. Of, and they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, the Mormons were the correct answer. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. All right, so today I wanted to just get out a pretty quick episode. Not sure how long this will take. I think about 10, 15 minutes is all because of the situation, obviously, with the church and the sex abuse hotline and the situations that were mishandled. This was this AP news article that came out last Thursday, and I couldn't help myself. I really wanted to address it. It's not that I couldn't help myself. I wanted to, I wanted to address it because I've addressed other complicated situations before, you know, one that comes to mind was a year ago in Elder Holland and the and the talk that he gave to the BYU faculty last year. And I mentioned how Elder Holland is not homophobic and things like that. So I've never really loved ignoring any situation like these. And I felt like if I ignored this one, that would be me saying, I just don't know, you know. And, and, and it is complicated a little bit. It's complicated. But there are some very clear things that can be said about this that I want to say. And that's why I'm doing this kind of special episode. There will be a later episode coming out this week um, that is a lot more lighthearted. It's a lot more chill. It's a little bit trivial compared to these type of things. Um, and that's why I didn't really want to couple these things together. I didn't want to couple this episode with that episode because I didn't want to really, I didn't want to trivialize this scenario at all. I want to, I want everybody to know that I am taking this very seriously as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I think we all should, obviously. I don't think anyone's not that I have talked to. But I want to make some of my points clear here and, and really give my frame of mind and my thought process behind this. So as I, as I go through this episode, you'll notice that I am reading a lot of what I've written. This is what I've written, but this is what's helped me formulate my thoughts. So sorry if it doesn't sound maybe as conversational or that it doesn't flow as smoothly, but I still hope that the point comes across as clearly as possible. So to kind of start out, I want to highlight that there's a law that exists in some states. And this was obviously highlighted in the article. And the law goes, clergy not enumerated as mandated reporters, but may be included with any person designation. So any person laws. So this is specifically talking about if you confess to a bishop, a stake president, or somebody in your clergy of a religion that you're a part of, they do not have to be a mandated reporter. If you confess specifically child abuse, they do not have to be a mandated reporter. That's only in a few states. Utah is one of them. Idaho is another. I think there's just three or four others is all. But the person that does confess may be included with the Oh, sorry, the, the clergy that receives the confession at some point may be included with the any person designation. I'll get to that in a second. Any person laws are, if you hear about child abuse, you are legally obligated to report that crime to legal authorities. That would be any random lay person. That would be me. That would be most of the listeners. There are not many non-mandated reporters, and clergy are one of those groups, generally speaking, in these states at least. The clergy laws go like this. They say, exceptions to clergymen that hear about child abuse in religious confession context, and this law doesn't explicitly state 
this from what I understand, but that's the idea behind the law, right? That it's in a religious confession context. However, there are some situations in which a clergyman might be deemed as any person, meaning they are not protected legally necessarily, and will be treated as if they were legally required to report the case but didn't. I don't know the nuance behind that, but that is an important caveat as far as the church organization is concerned, right? That's why there has to be legal consultation given in situations like these, right? So before I go on further, I'd like to make clear that there's no question the biggest problem with this entire situation is that the church failed these girls mentioned in the article. That's 100% the case. There's nothing you can do to explain away the church's complete incompetence when it came to protecting these poor girls. They were the victims. There is zero question about that. And if it meant the church was going to be sued, then so be it. How do you lose sight of one of Christ's most direct and clear commandments, protect the children? I don't know how many men were involved in this decision-making process that led to this being so egregiously mishandled, but one is too many. And it'd be nice if the church could be a little more transparent in what they plan on doing to fix this, quite frankly. Let's highlight something President Oaks made very clear in his October 2012 talk titled Protect the Children. President Oaks said, quote, Children are highly vulnerable. They have little or no power to protect or provide for themselves and little influence on so much that is vital to their well-being. Children need others to speak for them, and they need decision makers who put their well-being ahead of selfish adult interests. Now, where was any of this when these horrendous acts were taking place and being reported about it through the proper channels, supposedly, within the church. You didn't really, you obviously did not have that take place, according to President Oaks's own talk. Now, he wasn't President Oaks at the time, but Elder Oaks in 2012, now President Oaks, part of the first presidency, makes this very clear, completely mishandling it on the church administrative side. In Matthew 18, 5 to 6, right? This is a scripture that we're all familiar with. You'd think most church administrators would have been familiar with it as well. It says, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. There will be millstones hung from the necks of some of these administrators of the church. Probably more than just a couple, too. And I sincerely hope that whoever was part of the decision-making process that led to this being ignored for as long as it had, and no question would have been ignored indefinitely had it not been made known to the public, has a come-to-Jesus moment. And I would pray if I were them that the Savior will show them more mercy than lack of empathy they showed to the victims in these scenarios. Now, fortunately, to give a little background on my own mentality here, I grew up in a family that was very well aware and even highlighted that administratively the church was run like a business. The gospel is and always has been perfect but the construct around it is not infallible. My parents were great about ingraining this into us from day one, and that wasn't so we could become the ultimate critics of the church. It was meant to protect us from basing our testimony off of church policy, bishops, stake presidents, to make that delineation, that distinction between the two, because there is a very clear one. You don't even have to look that hard to see it. We stuck to the gospel and let the Spirit guide us and build our testimonies. But, unfortunately, because the church is run as imperfectly as any other business might be, you have major negligence, such as mentioned in this AP article. And that's because the bureaucracy of the church has become a bad monster at times. And in this situation, this is one of those times. I was talking about it with someone that compared this to kind of how things might have looked like in Nazi Germany, which 
maybe be might be an overwrought comparison these days, but I actually think this was pretty insightful. The underlings in the Nazi party were told to never question the system. That's how you get millions of passive citizens to comply, especially when it's instilled in their minds as being part of the greater good, so to speak. However, don't confuse this comparison with me saying the church is like the Nazi party. Let me make that clear. Obviously, I'm not saying that. I am still very much a part of this church, and I want to be, and I love this church as a whole. And I love the gospel, and I, and I believe in this gospel, that it's the true gospel of Jesus Christ. But what I am saying specifically is that there may have been a culture instilled into those that work for the church that are told to never question the system. And that's how you get scenarios like these, where they miss the forest for the trees, and innocent young victims' lives are ruined because of the gross negligence. We can't deny any of that, right? Does that mean the church has a systemic problem? That's another thing I want to address. I don't think so. I do not believe this is systemic. However, there may have been systems in place that helped facilitate this heinous crime, but I also believe this same system has helped a lot of other people and that it specifically exists because of the aforementioned law at the beginning of the episode. Which is why I want to reiterate, as I kind of wrap things up here in this um, little mini-episode, I can't really speak on whether or not these laws should or should not exist, but I can assume they do exist by entertaining a thought experiment. Let's say these laws did not exist, and nobody is protected if they confess to their clergyman that they inflicted child abuse. How many people then come forward to admit their own the child abuse that they committed, these crimes. That's basically somebody coming forward and openly stating, take me to prison. Sure, it may not be entirely unprecedented. A truly repentant and penitent person would do so. But the point is clear. The chances that anyone might come forward is practically zero. It's not zero, but it's basically, it plummets, right? We'd get less and less of this reported. Of course, it would drop off dramatically. But based on this, it is my belief that that's why the law exists, right? That's speculation on my part, because otherwise there'd be less of a chance that these cases become uncovered. So what's the church's role in all this? Well, the church decides to utilize these laws as a way of uncovering abuse that otherwise would be completely left up to legal authorities to uncover, which as far as, as, far as we know happens much less often. Furthermore, the church makes it clear that the confessor is not automatically protected from a legal standpoint. That is, they may decide to report these crimes regardless of not being under legal obligation to do so. But that's kind of moot if the scenarios highlighted in the APR article aren't just exceptions but widespread. I would love to believe that they're not widespread. I certainly hope they're not widespread. My gut tells me they're not widespread because I think we'd hear a lot more about these if it was. But even having two scenarios where that existed should be enough to make anyone want justice for the perpetrators or at least silent participants. I'm talking about those that are in the church bureaucracy, by the way, those perpetrators or silent participants, however you want to look at it. It's almost as if the church as a bureaucracy has eclipsed Christ and his commandments. Protect the children. That got completely lost in all this. They were protecting themselves first and foremost. However, embracing this law puts the church in a very tight spot, and it facilitates an interesting question. Should the church play a role here at all? If they decide to play a role, it was inevitable that the moment they decided to play a role, that you unfortunately might have situations that are mishandled. This is not to serve as an exoneration of the church, of course not. I have no doubt that this scenario could have been handled so much better than it was, and absolutely should have been. And there has since been an article that has come out that highlights a scenario in which the same system did help someone drastically. So there are good sides to the system that exists. However, because of this scenario in the AP News article that broke last week, and that all exists, 
well, we know that it's far from a perfect system. Far, far, far from a perfect system. How do you fix that system? I don't know. That's where maybe some transparency from the church would actually help the church in the long run. That's my kind of my PR side speaking. I mean, I know tr- full transparency isn't always a good thing from an organizational standpoint. That's just kind of the deep study of PR that I've done in my life. But it does need to be at least more transparent than they have been, especially in this regard, I would think, in order for them to make any start making progress. Because there were some real people that got hurt on magnitude levels. And what has happened cannot be undone. And nothing the church does can solve that retroactively. And they played a role in covering up that abuse, or at least not bringing it to the proper light. There's no question about that. But shouldn't a big part of the discussion also be about why the law exists and if it should exist? If you're pointing fingers at an organization for mishandling a case of child abuse as broadly representative of the sinister motive, then I don't think I'm really going to have a discussion with you about this because I don't believe the church was sinister here. There's no that You cannot convince me of that. Negligent? Absolutely. Really, really selfish and watching out for themselves more so than the victims? Yes. Negligent of Christ's premier commandments in protecting the children? Yes. Sinister? No. I do not believe that. I do believe they were prioritizing the wrong people in, this, in the situations talked about in the AP. The victims did not come first. And that's absolutely horrible and inexcusable. And as mentioned before, millstones will be hung around necks for those that facilitated this evil. But I think we all need to be honest with ourselves by asking ourselves the following questions. Is that the best way to uncover child abuse by letting only legal authorities do so? Does this law exist so that it may be uncovered more often and ergo give more opportunities for these heinous situations to not only be uncovered but dealt with in a way that can potentially solve it as well? Or should the church completely abstain from playing a role and thus not provide a facilitation of these scenarios coming to light when they may otherwise be uncovered? I don't have the answers to those questions, but I do think those are at least important questions for all of us to ask ourselves. Let's not forget, because these laws exist, what if the man that was abusing his children confesses to his bishop and then the bishop or church turns around and reports him to the authorities, even though he was legally protected? That man could sue the church. Now I understand that suing the church is of little consequence compared to child abuse. I've mentioned that already. Should the church allow themselves to be sued because they didn't perfectly adhere to the clergy slash confession law in the name of these victims? I think the answer here is yes, absolutely. Because if this is Christ's true church, there's no way he's going to let a vengeful pedophile take it down because he's supposedly protected by certain laws of the land. takes time